Hello and welcome to Explore. I'm Sarah Miller and this is the regular podcast from the University of Exeter's student communications team. In each episode we explore a different topic with students, staff and alumni which reflects the richness of life within our global community. Please note that this edition of Explore contains references to suicide and suicide prevention. There are links to organisations which can support anyone who needs it in the episode notes and these details are also mentioned in the podcast. For this edition of Explore, we're finding out more about the Students Guild Mind Your Head Society and we're also off to get a campus haircut as part of Mental Health Awareness Week. Okay, um, so what can I do for you? My name's Emma, by the way. Hi, I'm Katie. Nice to meet you. <laughs> what can I do for you today? Just a train if that's okay. Yeah, thank, thank you very much. No problem, let's just have a little lick. When Whatever you think the, um, needs done. Now, whether your usual is a quick trim or the full colour and cut, the conversation you have while you're in a hairdresser's chair can play a vital role in our well-being. Tom Chapman is the founder of the Lions Barber Collective, a collective of barbers who've come together to raise awareness for the prevention of suicide. A team of Tom's volunteer barbers and hairdressers recently came to the University of Exeter to provide free haircuts and an opportunity to talk. I caught up with Tom and he explained the background to the initiative. I founded Lions Bar Collective back in 2015 and the reason why I wanted to start a Lions, uh, a Lions Bar Collective, a mental health club at the time, was because I'd lost a friend to suicide in 2014. He was a young man, he was 27, I'd seen him just days before and I was completely unaware that he was struggling we had small talk quick conversation in the street uh, everything seemed fine the usual questions how's it going you all right mate yeah you know there aren't really questions and more of greetings but you know we don't expect an actual answer do we um and then i found out a few days later that he'd actually ended his life via social media i was just going to bed and i I opened my phone, checked my phone stupidly before charging it, or maybe not stupidly, who knows. Um, I didn't get much sleep that night because of that, and I spent a lot of time thinking, why would you do that? Why would you end your life? Why did you feel so alone that that was the only option? And and also there was a lot of what-if questions. You know, what if I'd recognised he was going through something? What if I'd asked him a, a question? Um, what if I'd realised he was suicidal? And what if I'd asked him and he said yes? And there was all of that going on. And I think I was very, um, it, was, it was a very difficult time. And I, I sort of blamed myself a little bit because I'd seen him just before. I didn't go to sleep much that night. And I went to work the next day. I was fully booked. And I thought, I can't let everyone down. I've got to go and cut hair. So I went and cut hair. And I did probably 12, 13 people's hair that day. And they all, yeah, this goes to prove the relationship is great. They all realised something wasn't right with me. And I had conversations with them all day. And although it didn't bring him back, by the end of the day, I had a little bit more clarity about what was going on. And I'd spoke about it and how I was feeling. And actually, I could have just stayed up in my pit and wallowed in the whole thing. And, and it wouldn't have done me any good at all. And I think actually by getting myself downstairs and cutting hair and having those conversations with my friends all day, in a role reversal of what we're trying to do now, um, I actually was able to get what was going on inside my head out. And I think we could all probably relate to times where things are going on and our brains aren't being very nice to us and it all builds up and there's no clarity. And actually, when you talk about things, it it does make a li- make life a little bit easier. Problem shared is a problem halved and all of that. 
from the time you heard the news about your friend to forming the idea for the collective, that was a, a gradual process. The biggest turning point and the reason why I wanted to do this was at his funeral, at the crematorium, there was so many people there that all the seats were taken very quickly. I was one of the first not to have a seat and therefore ushered to the front. I was looking at the faces of all these people and thinking, all these people are here for him. They all miss him. They all loved him. They all, you know, upset they couldn't be there. And he felt so alone that he thought suicide was the only option. And it just really kind of made me think, well, look, how can anyone feel that way when they have so many people? Or how could they not feel comfortable enough to open up and talk to people? So that's kind of the reason why I, why I started it. And that was a real driving force. But a year went by and I had my own business. I had my partner and life gets in the way. And it wasn't until about a year later when I was getting reasonably well known in the barber industry. And I tried to get 30 barbers together to create a lookbook a catalogue of men's haircut images are like that you used to find in barber shops all over the place and hairdressers and you used to be able to buy them and we all sat around thinking about what different charities we could do it for and there was lots of suggestions and mostly male cancers and they were all charities that I'd heard of before until one of the guys um, a guy called Paul from from, um, Ireland said what about suicide prevention and it just hit me like a ton of bricks and I thought well how can I have not realised that that's a charity that you can raise money for or there's resources out there for mental health and suicide prevention and I'd actually lost someone to suicide under 12 months ago and I was completely unaware so that made me think how many people out there are struggling alone have lost someone thinking about taking their life and don't know what's available. So from that initial fundraiser how did you move to create the bigger collective as we see it now? One of the things that really made it step up a gear was we'd done the book and a catalogue of haircuts and I was talking to a friend of mine about this and uh, he was explaining he was feeling down and he was in a bad place and I basically listened to what he had to say but also told him about what we're trying to do with Lions Barber Collective and this was all very new and that you know we're trying to encourage people to feel comfortable opening up and talking to people and seeking help and talking to and talk to their doctors or their families or whatever it was and that that guy Paul actually went to end his own life after our conversation not long after our conversation and um he was thinking about what the conversation we had and what I'd said, and that was enough for him to get back into his car and drive back to his parents' house and seek the help, and that was the start of his recovery. And now, you know, Paul's still with us. He's got a, a young boy. He's got a, he's married. He's got his own house. He's got his own business, and he's you know uh, an incredibly successful young man still. And I think that was when that life was saved through that conversation, just talking about what we're trying to encourage. That was the thing that really kick-started me and thought we need to have more of a thing and it needs to become a charity and it needs to spread and be more widely known. And That talking and listening that you described was so crucial in helping Paul. How much of the skill is about the ability to get people to open up? Yes, I think I think hair, in, hair and beauty professionals have to be good listeners. We have to be able, that's part of our skill set. We have to be able to listen because if we don't, if we don't know what you want done to your hair and we haven't listened and we're going to fail at our job epically before we've even started. So we are, we have to be good listeners. We have to have empathy and we have to be emotionally intelligent. And we also are social chameleons in the fact that we evolve to whoever's in our chair, because although your experience with me is your experience, actually before your hair, I cut a guy who was a football player. And then after that, I cut a, 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 I don't know, a, a, a detective or something. And then, so you do, you do change. But I think there is that thing about having the, 
that space where the intimacy and the trust and the relationship, especially over time between a client and a, and a hair professional, I think feeling safe to talk is really, really important. And people trusting you to be able to talk is really important. And I think that's, you have to have that skill to be able to make someone feel safe. And look, I've been telling people publicly for the last six years now, I suppose, that it's okay to talk to me. And if I go out of an evening in Torquay, where I live, guarantee at least one, maybe two, maybe three people will recognize me as the guy who does stuff with mental health and tell me. I actually feel honored that people want to talk to me. However, they probably haven't told anyone else. And in terms of that relationship you have with regular clients and customers, you're in that position of being able to detect those subtle changes in appearance or demeanour. So are those some of the signs that you're looking out for? Yes, essentially, in a nutshell, that is exactly what we do. And you know, recognising changes in behaviour is the kind of it's, it's part of our it's part of the training that I developed, and it's one of the first things. Recognising changes in behaviour, I think we we expect mental health problems to be these clinically diagnosed extreme symptoms of this, that, and the other. And actually, there's a there's a something that we can all do, really. I think not just with clients and people but of our friends and family and essentially when you see changes in people's behavior that is an opportunity to ask questions um, and we can really notice change in people's behavior and that's essentially what we can all do we can all do that you can do that with your friends your family if someone is you know they go out every week but now they're starting to go out two three times a week there's an opportunity there to ask a question and i think the problem is we don't ask questions when we do recognize these things because we're scared of what the answers may be and I think we kind of brush it off and go, well, oh, they're spending more time in their room, but they're probably just this. Or they're probably, we, are we answer the question ourselves to make ourselves feel better. And actually, it is so important um, just to see the changes in behaviour and take opportunities there when we do. It can be a balance when asking how someone is, not, not being nosy or intrusive. How do you start those conversations? I'm still getting to know what's going on, to be honest with you. But, you know, I think um, the further education period of your life, it's it's such a difficult time anyway. You're expecting, there's so much pressure to, you know, get certain grades or be successful or whatever. Plus, you, you know, you're exploring life generally and there's a lot of pressure socially as well. I think it's such a difficult time that it's, yeah, people just think, oh, they're off having people at uni and colleges are just having fun all the time. But it's a lot of pressure. And I think we found personally when we've done uh, pop-up barbershops at the likes of Bristol or Exeter or you know, the younger generation are far more comfortable talking about their mental health. I once did a pop-up at a university. It took me 15 minutes to even get onto the topic of hair because the guy just sat in the chair and just told me everything, like literally. And I think that goes back to saying, look, if you let your friends and know that you are a safe space... And let come to my room if you want to have a chat about anything at any time. We can be doing it in private and just let your friends. If we all look after our little unit, it's going to make a massive difference overall. Um, but I think don't be afraid to say, you, you don't seem yourself. Is everything okay? Um, and then if they say yes or no, say, look, just so you let me know, just, just to let you know that I am here if you want to talk to me. And, you, and you've kind of broken down that barrier because I think we always ask once, you're right, mate, how's it going? But actually, we normally, we think that other people don't want to hear it, or we think that other people know we're fine, or we think that, you know, but actually asking again, letting people know that it's a safe space, I think that's really, really powerful. And then let people come to you. I think it's, um, 
it's just reassuring. Don't be scared to ask the questions. And I think, you know, if you know what's about to support you, then you feel more comfortable asking the questions. If you know, because I think we don't ask questions because we're scared if they say, yeah, actually, I'm really struggling. And is it then about signposting and offering to look for help together when, you, when you're not sure of the answers? I think a lot of the time it's, you know, you, you, you've recognised there's changes in behaviour. You've asked them that question. You don't seem yourself, Sarah. How are you really feeling? Is anything wrong? Would you like to talk to me? And they go on to say, yes, I'm going to talk to you. This is going on. This is going on. I think we've got to remember first and foremost to respond well. Say, I, I don't know what you're going through, but I'm here to listen. I don't understand, but I'm, I want to learn. Um, and you know, and, and try not. It's very easy to go and relate it to something you've been through because that's easier to deal with. If it's a breakup, for example, you know, I can remember being young and having to break up and saying, and my friends having to break up and saying, "Oh, I know what I know what you're going through because when I broke up with so and so, this, 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 this," and I tell them about my story because it's much easier to hear or talk about my story that I've gotten over than the fresh pain that they're going through. And actually, we don't need to do that. We just need to step back and say, oh, how did it make you feel? What do you think you could do about that? Shall we have a look at this? Or shall we, and make a plan with that person? Um, should we have a look for some support on that? Would you like to, you know, and you can even ask someone, would you like to? Would you like me to listen? Or would you like my opinions on it? You know, give them the option. See if they want to, the, you know, because I, I think I can remember being in a bad place and someone saying, I know how you feel. I think you have no idea how I feel. You know, it actually back, you know, puts you back up a little bit. And we don't. You know, the pandemic is an amazing experience. Amazing, sorry, amazing um, example of that in the sense that we've all been through the pandemic, but I couldn't say that I know how you feel about it because my experience is completely different to yours. You know, there's, everyone had their own experience and their own trials and tribulations through that. So I think it's remember, remembering not to try and tell people how you know how they feel don't necessarily relate back to your experiences because theirs are different and and try and make plans with them but I think it's really important to have a little look and see what is available things like Nightline is amazing service at Exeter University things like hubofhope.co.uk or mypickle.org they're two amazing websites that are directories so you go on to hubofhope or mypickle.org and you put in your postcode and it gives you a list in geographical order of what's available so even if you can't remember anything else hub of hope is for mental health resources mypickle.org is for situational issues so it could be finances it could be i don't know parenting gambling all those kinds of things and let's face it they're the things that damage our mental well-being a lot of the time aren't they so um so yeah i think it just arm yourself with a couple of things and then make plans with the person and i imagine silence can be a really important tool silence is something that we were, I don't know, we're scared of it but we, we don't like it we try and fill it if someone stops talking we jump in straight away um, and I think a lot of the time when we're doing our, our our conversations we're listening to somebody and waiting to hear something that we can relate to or we've got a story about or we we've, we've experienced ourselves and we hold on to that moment and think about that we stop listening to them and we wait until they stop even if it's just for breath and we jump in with our experience and that's why conversations go off on different you know you're on tangents and you think how the hell have we ended up talking about this and don't jump in don't try and fill that space or change the direction of the conversation actually let silences breathe a little bit and actually that person may be trying to get the words out of their head out of their mouth and they're actually thinking about how to articulate that 
and verbalise it and get it out there because it may be the first time I've ever spoken about it. Going back to the Lions Barber Collective, tell us more about how we can get involved. So Lions Barber Collective, we have a, a vision of a world free from suicide. Um, and that sounds like a big goal, but you've got to aim for the best, haven't you? Otherwise, it's not much point. And the, the mission is to create non-clinical, non-judgmental safe spaces where people feel comfortable to talk about their mental health and be able to signpost them to information and support. And we do this through loads of different things, but um, basically the charity, we have the Collective Pride Awards, which is the first thing, the first year this year, actually, when we celebrate those who go above and beyond for their community, their clients and their colleagues in the hair and beauty industry. We have uh, pop-up barbershops where we go to different spaces, um, whether it be workplaces, colleges, universities, just different in different communities. And we cut hair uh, for free for the people wanting to come and have a haircut and um, use that as a as a, a vehicle for conversations around mental health and also signposting to other different things that are available, resources. Um, so, for example, we did something with Network Rail and GWR. We cut hair on train station platforms. We had people from Samaritans there just in case that we could assign people to. Uh, we do we do lots and lots of stuff, you know, this, and then there's also the training that I created around. Uh, it's called Barber Talk or Hair and Beauty Talk for the hair and beauty industry, but we now actually have it as a non-industry specific version which is here to talk um, and that is based around the four pillars of the recognize ask listen and help and uh, that's actually the basis for my fourth book which is called how to listen so men will talk you've really made me think about that space that opens up when we visit the barber or hairdresser and for some people um, this will be a rare chance to connect face to face we have a license to touch we have the intimacy. I mean, there's not many people that run their fingers through your hair or through your beard or you trust old a cutthroat razor against your neck and pay for the, the uh, privilege and find it relaxing. And I think you have that conversation. There's very few times where we have conversation one-to-one with another human being now. We, we talk to people through our phones and our computers and we, you know, especially in that intimate space so i think we're, we're very lucky as a hair beauty industry we're able to do that and connect with people daily um i can give you an example of in the pandemic i went and cut a friend's hair and we find normal conversation beforehand but as soon as i started cutting his hair he started to cry and obviously i stopped and had a conversation with him but we found out that he said i don't really know what's crying but when he started touching me i had this rush of emotion i realized that you're the first person I've seen or touched me in months because of the pandemic. I live alone. And I think that was really quite powerful to realize that I don't think, I don't think the hair beauty industry realizes the privileged position they're in, in the societies, the difference they make to people and the, and the, and you know, the fact that they have this license to touch and the fact that they do all of this stuff, listening, license to touch, the empathy, the emotional intelligence, the fact they become social chameleons and evolve to whoever's in their chair. And that's not even their job. Their job is to cut your hair, cut your hair, colour your hair, make you look beautiful. And finally, it'd be good to hear some useful tips on how we can prepare ourselves to help our friends and people we meet. If you've recognised changes in people's behaviour, I would build up the confidence and courage to ask them a question. Ask them, how are you really feeling, Sarah? I, yeah, I've noticed your as changes in your behaviour. Would you like to talk to me about something? Is there anything you're going through? And if they say no, just to let you know, I'm here. I'm here for you if you need me. Um, and look, I, I can put my hand on my heart and say, look, I've asked, everybody I've asked, are you suicidal? Or do you have a plan to end your life? Is still alive today. 
it is terrifying every time I ask that question for the fear of him saying yes. But if you arm yourself with the ability to listen well, re- you know, respond well, thank them for sharing with you. Don't try and fix and solve it. Keep offering them the platform to, to tell you more. And just remember things like Hub of Hope, mypickle.org. And if it is an emergency, remember you can call the emergency services. It may seem scary, but actually we're all capable, more than capable of looking after ourselves and those around us. Tom Chapman, the founder of the Lions Barber Collective. Well, a group of volunteers from the charity recently visited the university to offer free haircuts to students. And pretty quickly, there were customers and conversation. Yeah, it's a charity that really looks at mental health and suicide prevention in men. Bravo. I'm really proud of you guys. It's incumbent upon us as men, and certainly the older generations, to support the younger ones to maybe have a greater level of consciousness to what we were maybe brought up with so that men do talk more openly. So I feel like we need more channels to deal with these emotions, how to deal with well so that we can lead a better life. And just a few chairs away at this special event was the Mind Your Head Society, run by the Students Guild, which provides support all year round to students. Katie Robertson is the current president of the society. I have family experience with mental health and personally as well with mental health. And I didn't actually know the society existed until the end of my first year. Um, and I found out about it and I thought it was a really good initiative and I you know, wanted to know more about it and then I saw that the treasurer position was available and then kind of went from there. And I just kind of, you know, I think mental health in general is important, but especially for students and young people um, because it's something that's not talked about very much within that group, age group. Um, and it's really important to have a space where people can feel that they feel safe to speak about it and listen. And it's really quite a kind of competitive market in terms of getting attention from students. So how how do you kind of cut through or try to cut through? Um, So one of the main marketing strategies that we use um, is to collaborate with lots of other societies because I think mental health, you have a very niche group of people. You have some people who feel very open talking about it and then you have another group of people, for example, men or people who identify as LGBTQ+, who feel less comfortable um, speaking and opening up about these sorts of issues. And by collaborating with the LGBTQ+, SOC, we're collaborating with the real LSOC on next week. By collaborating with them and then bringing us into their environment, it allows other students to hear about us um, and then it kind of cuts through the, the grain of all of these societies and all of the noise that's around them um, and kind of allows us to have a space where, you know, we can be heard and seen. What kind of ways do you have of connecting with students? Things you have going on through the year or perhaps kind of social stuff that you do that mm-hmm. kind of can connect people together? So we have lots of social media channels. Um, we always do uh, we do Mindfulness Monday, um, which we post kind of mindfulness tips, um, kind of well-being tips, um, which students are very good at engaging in um, during mental health weeks like this. Eating Disorder Awareness Week, Awareness Week and University Mental Health Day will always post about it then and then we always kind of share it with other societies and get them to share it for us and kind of tag all of the big charities in them and that kind of engages students more um, and then in terms of socials we run kind of weekly to bi-weekly socials um, and most of them are collaborations because as I said it does help us 
gain reach with collaborations and it also we get more students turning up if we do collaborate um but we we don't just we don't just talk about mental health at the collaborations we at all the socials we kind of tend to actually not talk about it it's kind of there in the background and if someone wants to approach us about the top that topic of conversation they can but it's mainly just those students being able to turn up and knowing that they're not going to be judged if they do want to talk about it and i think that's really important um and it's like we do mindful color coloring in sessions or yoga sessions meditation sessions baking you know just or going to a restaurant or going to a cafe and just chatting and i think just having that space is enough for people to open up and feel safe and have a chat and and is it about um kind of giving people the confidence as well to talk to kind of friends who they may feel do need support and it might not be that there at the no, one in no, needing support yeah i think i think it's really important and that aspect, aspect aspect as well you know not everyone not everyone does suffer with mental health problems but their friends might and i think it is really challenging to open up to to open up to a friend or ask a friend how they're feeling um you know because we're so comfortable with talking about how happy we are but we're not comfortable with talking about how sad we are or can be um so yeah it's just kind of making sure people are supported and knowing that they can talk to each other and and I guess um, the kind of nature of university is that there's a constant cycle of students coming through, isn't there? Mm-hmm. So every year you're getting yeah. a new batch of kind of students that you're going to be trying to appeal to. Yeah. And also each generation, I guess, has got different things going on. Yeah, definitely. I think as well, especially with... So I started university in COVID and I think that my whole year group and the year group before and after above us, um, you know, they that's a completely different field, like filled with them you know and it's kind of catering to the fact that those students are probably feeling very isolated and very lonely and then create catering events that kind of you know have that in mind and allow them to meet people and I think that's one of the big things we focused on this year is allowing other people to meet people not so much even talking about like promoting mind and well-being and stuff is just literally having this event where people can come and they can make friends you know we had a picnic in um, September and a lot of people came and you know I, I walk past them some of them now and they they're with the people that they met at the picnic which is really lovely um, so yeah you do kind of have to cater the events to who you know who your like audience are um, and just make sure you're doing it and then it seems to work <laughs> and I guess then with through the society you want to have that spread of different years no, of experience yeah, you definitely do and I think that's why the, our committee this year is very it's great because you have a diverse range you have first year second years third years and international student um, you know and I think it's you do you can't just cater towards first years because those first years are going to become second years and then they're going to move on you have to cater to everyone um, and everyone's different needs which is challenging but it's a nice challenge <laughs> You mentioned about some of the things you do through through the week and I, I noticed about Welfare Wednesday. Yes, so we do uh, Wellbeing Wednesday. So we do bi-weekly um, in Exhale um, on campus in Devonshire House and then we do um, bi-weekly again on Zoom and we do that with Make a Smile who are another um, like mental health wellbeing society on campus um, and that's just you don't students can just come and have a space and they can talk to our wellbeing officers if they want to it doesn't have to be about mental health but it's just knowing that there's a space there for an hour on a Wednesday where they can just come and sit in silence if they want but to know that they're supported and appreciated and I think it's interesting isn't it about the kind of concept of kind of silence especially when you're when you're trying to support someone Mm -hmm. yeah I personally I think silence is really important yeah I think sometimes silence is greater than words because you know just being with someone and they know that they're feeling loved and cared and appreciated for by just sitting there I think that's more powerful than telling them that they're going to be okay. (laughs)
Yeah, definitely, definitely. That kind of physical presence, isn't yeah, it, sometimes? Yeah. yeah, Yeah. So what about um, within the team then? Because you're, you're busy kind of trying to support people, create activities that are busy. What's your sort of kind of way of making sure you make space and time for yourself and your, your own well-being? So we always, so with the society, obviously everyone is well-being based because it's a mental health society. Um, so I always make sure that everyone has, everyone has a set task and everything's delegated in a fair and appropriate way. And we always try to do stuff so, I don't know, one day a week we're doing society stuff and then the rest of it you don't need to be. Um, but yeah, it's important to take time for yourself too. You can't, you know, be trying to do events here, there and everywhere. And, you know, over um, Christmas we had like a month off because everyone had exams and coursework and at Easter we have the same thing. Um, so it's just about pacing yourself and not getting burnt out because it's really easy to get burnt out, especially at uni. Um, but yeah, pace is key. <laughs> so in terms of kind of things that you've got kind of coming up mm-hmm. that people might wish to engage with what yeah. sort of things are on the calendar uh so in may so that's going to be after exams um so towards the end of term we have actually we're hoping to arrange just nearly finalized um a, a llama walking event with the guild um so that's going to be an aid of um work well-being and mindfulness and pets are proven and animals are proven to increase that um so that's kind of going to be one of our big events at the end of the year um to kind of celebrate the end of the year and celebrate end of exams um so yeah we're going to be doing that and then we have uh, a few picnics arranged which will be nice just on the cathedral and a few well-being walks just so people can walk around meet each other have a chat with each other um in nature um and yeah just kind of more events as to what we do now but just kind of scaled up a little bit because it's the end of end of the year and I think it's nice to have a bit of a, a celebration towards mm. the end of the year and it's interesting isn't it that period when you go away from university and then you kind of come back mm-hmm. if you're a returning student what sort of advice and support can people reach out for do you think during that kind of time when they're not at university but mm-hmm. are part of university yeah. I feel like obviously the the services on campus like the well-being services and nightline um and anyone I think you know I think it's important students know that university the services don't end when it's out of term time they're still there all of the time to support people Um, and I think that's something that's not really kind of made aware of enough and students don't realize that Um, and obviously there's external charities like mind or student minds um, to you know talk to someone's in need and and the theme of mental health awareness week in in May is around uh, loneliness Mm -hmm. Um, something we perhaps can sometimes forget that anybody any age can experience loneliness so what kind of support and, and what ways are there for, for your society to reach people? Because of the pandemic and stuff, we have focused a lot this year on allowing people to come together. And, you know, those students who may be feeling isolated or like they haven't met anyone, um, you know, that obviously they're more than welcome to come to our events. And then we always try our best to introduce people to each other. And it always, it sometimes works really well and it sometimes doesn't, you know, it's that's how it happens. Um, but I think, yeah, you, it's kind of having that space where people who do feel lonely and everyone feels lonely. And I think the students especially it's hard to admit that you're lonely because everyone assumes loneliness is for older people who are living on their own and who have lost their spouses um but actually there are a lot of young people who are really really lonely and kind of you know that's horrible um and yeah just kind of knowing that they can come together and have a chat with each other so if somebody's listening today and they haven't ever kind of got in touch with your society Mm -hmm. 
how would you encourage them to kind of make that uh, first step? I'd just say, just find us on Facebook or Instagram or email us. Um, and, you know, we've been more than happy to meet someone outside of a building and go in with them and chat to them privately, individually. Um, our DMs and emails are always open for a chat. You know, we're more than, more than happy to have a chat with people and to introduce them to other members because, you know, we know some people who may be wanting to meet new people and we can connect them with each other. Um, so, yeah, just come along. And if you don't like it, you don't like it, but it's always good to try. And what about some tips for people who maybe are about to come to university and are listening to this thinking, oh, I want to know a little bit more about the kind of work that you do? Um, I think, you know, mainly we primarily focus on signposting other charities so signposting um all of the mental health charities um and also just promoting like our slogan is promoting positive mental well-being every step of the way and i think that's really important you know you you can have coursework deadlines you can have all of this stuff uh, surmounting but the most important thing is that you look after your mind before before anything else because you can't get anything good done without looking after your your mind um and yeah we just primarily focus on that and just kind of the aspect of people wanting to kind of reach out and and help other people. With thanks to Katie Robertson, the current president of the Mind Your Head Society. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram or pop into the Students Guild. And before Katie, we heard from Tom Chapman, the founder of the Lions Barber Collective, which you can also find on social media on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. If you or someone you know has been affected by any of the subjects we've talked about in this episode, there's a lot of information on the university wellbeing pages, which you can access through iExeter and your desktop. The Student Nightline service is available from 8 o'clock each night with an online chat facility. Tom also mentioned a couple of websites, hubofhope.co.uk and mypickle.org. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to subscribe or listen to more episodes, just search for Explore on your preferred podcast provider.